Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and today we focus on the impact that COVID-19 has had on employment. So many lives and careers and jobs have been affected. Today's guest is attorney Kavita Goyle, the chair of the Massachusetts Bar Association's Labor and Employment Section and a partner at the firm of Rosen and Goyle in Andover, Massachusetts, where she leads the firm's employment practice. We've got a lot to cover in this podcast. Welcome, Attorney Goyle. First off, definition of terms, beginning with the situation many are finding themselves in, the furlough. How does that differ from a layoff, for example? So in essence, a furlough and a layoff are not really that different. Um, in layman's term, a furlough is generally involves that there'll be some return to work date, whereas a layoff would be you no longer are employed and you need to seek new employment. Um, in Massachusetts, under the Department of Unemployment Assistance, they've actually created what they call standby status during this pandemic. Since March and, and continuing right now, uh, an employee can be placed on standby status, which is essentially a temporary layoff or a furlough. And an employee who uh, is temporarily furloughed is eligible to collect unemployment. And the reason that this is there's a distinction is two reasons. One is they are allowed to collect unemployment without having to look for another job because it's temporary. And two, they need to be reasonably available to work and be in touch with their employer so that if the employer does have some temporary work for them, that's reasonable, they can call the employee back during the time that they're unemployed. For people who are concerned then that they're going to be furloughed, uh, there are some protections in place is what you're saying. Yes. Let's move on to uh, the whole question of unemployment benefits. What's the current process for unemployment for people if they've been laid off recently or laid off, let's say, six months ago? Where do we stand? So the standards for collecting unemployment and who qualifies for unemployment really hasn't changed all that much, although the standards itself may be interpreted slightly differently by the Department of Unemployment Assistance. So typically, an individual will qualify for unemployment when they are able and available to work, but there's no work out there, right? That's generally the standard. And, and when their employment has ended due to no fault of their own. Right, So they haven't violated a company policy, they haven't engaged in deliberate misconduct, or they resigned for urgent necessitous compelling reasons. Those are all reasons and a basis for collecting unemployment, and that hasn't changed under the pandemic. What has changed is the definition of being able and available. So if you have childcare-related issues during the pandemic, in normal circumstances, you might not have been able to collect. But under the pandemic and under the emergency regulations, the DUA is saying, yeah, I get it. You've got to work. You've got to stay home and you can't physically be in the office. So therefore, we're going to allow you to collect during this temporary period. And of course, this is state by state, right? I mean, this is Correct. a state this program. Specific to Massachusetts. In fact, our neighboring state, New Hampshire, has different regulations with regards to the emergency provisions. So obviously, people are concerned about what happens when the current stream of unemployment benefits runs out. That's still up in the air for many of us. It depends certainly on where the legislature goes. Yes. Under the, the initial Emergency Cares Act, the unemployment uh, time period was extended by 13 weeks. Typically, an employee is able to collect for 26 weeks. They've extended it by 13 weeks. As most of you also know, uh, under the Emergency Cares Act, you were allowed an additional $600 benefit per week as a supplement if you were eligible to collect unemployment on top of what you regularly collect. That continued through the end of July. Unfortunately, there hasn't been any uh, supplemental provision other than the additional $300 amount, but that it's not clear how long that's going to last and how long. And it, that's also state by state. 
it's going to depend on how much money that state has been given and how much money they right. have to give $300 a week as a supplement. For many of us, it's been a forced vacation, and a lot of us are home, obviously. But let's talk a little bit about time off during this pandemic era. Question one coming in is, will I still get paid if I test positive and have to quarantine? So the federal government passed the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, the FFCRA, which only applies, though, to select employers, specifically employers with less than 500 employees, and then there's some other criteria as well. So if you're employed with less than 500 employees, with a company that's employed less than 500 employees, you are eligible up to two weeks of paid leave at your regular rate of pay if you have to quarantine, self-isolate, or if you have symptoms related to COVID-19. So that entitles you to two weeks of paid leave. Aside from that, there is no regulation out there, even under the Emergency Cares Act, that allows you for paid benefits unless you have a bank of paid time off. Or in Massachusetts, there's the earned sick time, which allows you to have up to 40 hours per year for sick time. So that also could be applied. Or if you have a larger company and the company has some type of medical leave of absence benefit um, that is paid. But typically, if you have to stay home, aside from the FFCRA, you may have to be mm. home unpaid. In some cases, people have been asked to leave because someone in the next workstation might have tested positive. What does the future hold for them if they're asked to leave? If the employer asks them to leave because somebody else has tested positive in the workforce and they've got to sanitize and clean out the facility, then the first question is, and this should be the question across the board, is can the employee perform the essential functions of the job from home? Because if they can, then... There may be certain parameters you need to provide in the home or remotely, but the, the employee in the operations of the business can continue. Now, if the employee is in a position where they cannot physically work from home because the job requires them to be in person in the office, then they may be either entitled to unemployment temporarily. They may be entitled to some type of paid leave if the company has some sort of policy. But other than that, it may be that they're home on an unpaid leave of absence until the facility is cleaned. Most people have access to Wi-Fi, have uh, you know a laptop at least. But for those few who don't, is the employer required to help out in that case? So it's that's an interesting question, and and in most circumstances, although an employer may not be required to provide those sorts of remote work accessibility, you know we're encouraging employers to do so in during this pandemic, right? If that's going to help the business operations, that's going to help your staff and your employees continue to perform their essential functions of job of their job. Right. There are certain access that you should be giving to your employees. It may be in the form of Wi-Fi, it may be in the form of purchasing a laptop or a desktop, it may be in the form of providing telephone at home so that they can make calls if they're in the customer service. It's going to depend on the industry and how much is going to be provided is going to depend on the, the company. I've not heard of anybody who hasn't had some accommodation provided. Have you? Well, I'm an employment lawyer, so yes. So yes <laughs> of course, who am I asking that question to? <laughs> but you're raising an, a good point, and this is something that I have been advising both my clients on both sides, employers and, and, and employees, from the beginning of this pandemic, which is you want to engage in good 
faith efforts to preserve the employment relationship, right? You don't want to let an employee go unless you have to, and you don't want to quit, and you don't want to say you can't work unless you absolutely have to. So you have to think during this pandemic, as most of us have, is think outside the box a little bit about what is reasonable accommodations to provide to your employees, or what are reasonable uh, access that you as an employee will provide to your employer, Mm. right? That's what you really want to look at. And ultimately, if you're looking at litigation down the line, that's what a court's going to look at. Did the parties work together to try and come form a solution that would allow both parties to continue operating the business? There are people listening who are more concerned about COVID than others. And in cases of work, they may not want to travel. They may not want to drive into the city, let's say, where there's a particularly higher incidence of COVID. Can an employer force someone or require someone to do that kind of thing if they're really, really afraid to take that on? So that's a question that's been posed a number of times on both sides. And the answer is if the employee and the employment relationship is at will, which means the employee employer can change the terms of the employment at any time. Yes, the answer is the employer can require an employee to come into the office. And their reasons could be as simple as, I just think I like to have everybody in the office. I think it adds value to have everyone working together in the office physically. However, the exception to that would be is if you have a legitimate medical reason that's covered that allows you to continue working from home. Mm. But that medical reason has to be a disability under the American with Disabilities Act. And you have to support it with medical documentation uh, in some fashion that demonstrates why you need to stay home. So for example, one of the questions that I've received a number of times is, I have a family member who is high risk. I myself may not have a disability, but I have a family member who's at risk of getting COVID, and that's why I want to continue working from home. Unfortunately, under the American with Disabilities Act, uh, there are certain forms of associational discrimination that is protected, but an employee whose family member has a disability is not entitled to a reasonable accommodation. So that in and of itself is not enough. The employee himself himself or herself needs to have a disability that requires them to stay home. So when an, uh, an employer makes an, an effort and a very well-intentioned effort to apply accommodations equally across the board and has every reason to believe that this person is hale and hearty and healthy enough to come in and that person refuses, what recourse does the employer have in that case? So if the employee is at will and the employee has no medical basis to continue working remotely or not working physically in the office, that employer does have the right to terminate that employment relationship if there's no other option. Uh, In that situation, uh, unfortunately, there is no protection. But what's important, and I think Jordan, you just pointed out, which is that it is applied consistently. Mm. So an employer cannot be selective about this unless it's based on some legitimate non-discriminatory business reason. So you, you know, if the positions are all the same, you have to treat those employees the same so long as they don't have a medical condition. So you can't be selective about who you decide you want to have in the office. It just creates more problems. This is for employers. It makes so much sense, obviously, to have an employer employee handbook. But boy, is this the time to update it? Yes, <laughs> right? Because yeah, communication yeah. is so critical. Yes. And, and notice is critical, right? Allowing employees to know what their rights are and what the comp- company's policies and procedures are beforehand is very important. So even in the scenario where, that you raised of an employee who refuses to come to work, I wouldn't suggest terminating their employment outright. I would suggest letting them know, listen, the only option may be to separate at this point, because if you're not willing to come Mm. to the office and I'm not obligated to have you stay home, what else can we do? We talked about this briefly a few minutes ago, Kavita, but employers are allowed 
I would assume, to ask about medical issues or health issues and ask for some kind of confirmation or some kind of doctor's proof. Correct. There's a couple of important points to that. One is that they can only make medical inquiries that are reasonable, ne- reasonably mm-hmm. necessary and job-related to determine whether the accommodation is required. So they can't have an open-ended release that says, here, send me all your medical records so I can figure out whether I have to provide an accommodation. It has to be reasonably necessary and it has to be job-related. And and number two is the burden of providing some medical documentation should not be too burdensome on the employee. With the pandemic, medical providers are burdened with a lot going on right now, as you can imagine. Mm. And having to provide a doctor's note on a letterhood may not be the most the number one priority for an empl- for, for a provider. So an employer has the right to ask, an employee is obligated to provide it, but the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has made it clear that that burden should not be too burdensome. And therefore, even an email from the provider may be sufficient notice of this employee needs an accommodation. Certainly an employment lawyer like yourself is an opportunity for people to take their grievance and to try to get some action. But there are other steps that employees should consider, I would imagine. What would some of those be prior to taking legal action? Sure. So prior to taking legal action, an employee can always raise this issue with a human resources individual in the company if there one exists, or sometimes it's a a payroll specialist who assumes the duties of HR. Um, But there's always, or you can go to your manager or supervisor and raise the concerns you have. You have the right to do so without fear of being retaliated. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also file a complaint with the attorney general's office or a complaint with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. So if you feel you're being treated differently on the basis of your disability or on the basis of your race or national origin, which is something that's coming up these days because of this virus, you have the right to file a complaint and and you're not required to have an attorney to go through that process. Just a few more issues. Uh, The huge, huge elephant in the corner of the room is childcare and the schools being either in session or hybrid or whatever. It's an incredible burden on parents everywhere, both employers and employees. So has there been any kind of special compensation or consideration across the board, either legislatively or in law, to uh, to accommodate this unusual situation? Sure. So presently, there is what we talked about briefly a little bit before, which is the FFCRA. Right. The Families First Coronavirus Relief Act also provides for up to 10 weeks of a paid leave at a, at a, at a different rate. Um, if you need to stay home and you cannot work remotely because of childcare issues. Now that was certainly pertinent during the start of the pandemic in March and April. Now with schools reopening and some daycares reopening, that burden has been uh, lessened. Although for young, you know, young parents who have young kids at home who are doing hybrid schools, it makes it very difficult. Um, and as long as you can explain to your employer why you are not able to work from home remotely while your kids are doing hybrid education, uh, there may be an obligation again for an employer with less than 500 employees to provide some type of paid leave. But I will tell you again thinking outside the box and trying to be creative of solutions, uh, we encourage employees also to think about, you know, take, unfortunately, in this during the pandemic, is taking shifts where you know, uh, one spouse or one partner is working during the day and one spouse or partner mm. is working in the evening and, and, and taking turns with that so you're available to your employer if you can be. Just a few more things. This is about safety. If someone is working in job site of any kind and senses that the employer is not taking the, the proper safety steps that he or she thinks should be taken, what recourse, what, what should someone do in that case? So again, you know, we encourage employees to first raise their grievances with or their concerns with HR if there's someone in the company that they can go to. The, the, 
the easiest example that I'm hearing about these days is people in the workplace who are coming into the office are not wearing their masks inside when they're not socially distanced. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's a concern. The CDC guidelines have made it clear that that's something that, that everyone should be doing. If you cannot maintain six feet of social distance, you should be wearing a mask. And although the employer may be uh, putting up posters that suggest that that's what should be done, it's not always easy to enforce. It's not even on the employer. They may not be aware that this is happening. So first, make your employer aware of the situation and encourage them to take action appropriately to make sure everyone is wearing a mask or keeping their social distance. Um, thereafter, if you feel like there's still an ongoing concern that you're not that you feel has not been alleviated, you can, I also encourage you to go to the CDC guidelines to take a look at the CDC website as to what is appropriate mm -hmm. and what you know, what should the employer be doing? Mm. Again, thereafter, if you still feel there's a concern, you can file a complaint with the, uh, you know, Occupational Safety and Hazard uh, Office, uh, OSHA. Uh, you can also go to the Attorney General's office um, and, and, and raise your concerns. And just one more question. How has life been for you as an employment lawyer during this unusual time, Kavita? Yeah, employment law, you know, it's a, I've been saying this, I think, since the start of the pandemic as an employment lawyer, although it's been a very unfortunate and sad time for the country and for the world, as an employment lawyer, it's been fascinating in terms of employment law and the uh, situations that arise on both sides and, you know, doing work on both sides. You really see uh, the friction that arises between the interests of both parties. And, and, and like I said, the idea is really to work together to try and come up with a solution that allows you to preserve the employment relationship and continue uh, the business operations. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. That can't be done. Sometimes there are no solutions other than separating. That can happen as well. Our thanks to attorney Kavita Goyle. She's the chair of the MBA's Labor and Employment Section and a partner with Rosen and Goyle in Andover, Massachusetts. She there leads the firm's employment practice. Their website is rosenlawoffice.com. You've been listening to the MassBar Beat Podcast, available for free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the MassBar Association's Lawyer Referral Service by calling 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577 or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. MassBar B, produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich, thanking you for listening.